1: And Dillon hits it out into the gap in left center. It's well hit. It drops and rolls to the track. Kisner will score easily. Carlson on his way to third, sliding in with a triple. And a base hit into left field. Cardinals have the lead. Gorman will score. Arenado is second hit of the afternoon. And that makes it a 3-2 St. Louis lead. It was a good battle. You know, I, I, like I said, you know, when you face guys like him, it's always a tough,
0: tough, uh, tough assignment. Feels great. I mean, I can finish high. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how many games have you been to, but yeah, I've been finishing high now again and uh, letting it rip, and I
2: don't feel nothing. So it's been, thank God, so far it's been great. Obviously, the trainers were still taking care of it, but. Uh, no complaints, and uh, I'm not feeling anything. Finally, so it feels good. Cardinals
1: <coughs> win it yesterday, four to two. They're back to 500 for spring training. The Danny Max Show with BK, Tanner Hendrickson as well, and uh, our guest coming up will be former Cardinals pitcher Jason Marquis. Welcome into the show, guys. It was a fun game yesterday. If you like pitching, and I'll tell you what, Max Scherzer, he was to me, he was the story of that game. Generally speaking, but good to see some timely hitting for the Cardinals once. Scherzer left the game. He struck out seven in four innings. Yeah,
0: it turns out Scherzer's pretty good at this baseball Woo. thing, Dan. I, I would enjoy watching him pitch on an every fifth day basis. Oh, He's man. Very good. But he, the Cardinals offense has come alive a little bit of yeah. late. You've got some opp- opportunity to now see John Nagowski doing his thing. Tyler O'Neill has been fantastic. Matt Carpenter's starting to look a little better as well.
1: Nolan Arenado, another two-out base hit. He's had four of those along the way. It's been a solid spring for him. Now, he hasn't hit a home run, so what? You don't see a lot of home runs in that ballpark, generally speaking, down in Florida anyway depends on the weather a lot of times in March you, do, you don't know what you're going to get sometimes you get hotter springs down there depends on what the wind is doing day after day and uh, Nolan Arenado is as good as advertised folks and just watching him briefly he is something to behold and Buster Olney of ESPN was a part of character and Smallman yesterday.
0: It was an unbelievable trade. <laughs> it's mean, just been unbelievable in terms of getting one of the best players in
1: baseball and getting the Rockies to pay down so much of his money and not having to Give up any of the elite guys. It was a phenomenal trade, and and then to hear Mo uh, explain afterward about how you know he is, had essentially been big game hunting. He'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for the right moment. I mean, people around baseball with other teams were astounded in their eyes how bad a trade it was for the Colorado Rockies. And on the flip side, you have to say how great a trade it was for, for the Cardinals. Now, we'll see how it plays out. These things always take time. Now, <laughs> I think it's going to work out. Let's just yeah. let say no, that. I don't need to wait on this one. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you the thing. I, and When I'm watching the games, BK, and I see when Nolan Gorman comes up, and I, I brought this up on the telecast yesterday, I said, I still can't understand how Nolan Gorman is still a member of the Cardinals organization. He, by the way, came off the bench and hit an absolute rocket for a double for an RBI and i watch him defensively and i see that he is now really made great strides from even just a couple of years ago the ball jumps off his bat it has a different sound off his bat which i know is cliche but it does it's a great deal man and you still have nolan gorman i'm fascinated to see what happens the rest of this spring training now you got to start getting guys ready for the regular season this is march 16th you open up on the first so Start counting down the days. You're not that far away from that opener in uh, Cincinnati. So you wonder about the playing time for Nolan Gorman, but I'm just so intrigued with this young man and to see if we might see him at some point this year, play some type of role for the Cardinals.
0: Yeah. He went through a bit of a slump there. He, he opened up gangbusters early on in spring training. He had a little bit of a lull, which is to be expected for a player like him kind of Matthew Lieber had a similar thing where came out looking great in his first outing, had a little bit of a lull then has looked a little bit better of late that's like I said, to be expected for guys like that. But the fact that he is now adjusting again is what you want to see from a young player like him. Dan, I wanted to ask you about the lineup yesterday. I know we get into this stuff and we get all of the different possibilities. But Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado have been every single outing so far paired up with one another. That's the way that they want to look at that. And it's a question of if they're going to go to three or three, four. Do you think that's more about those two guys or more about the rest of the lineup in the way that they're performing where they end up a little bit of
1: both? I, I think there's something to be said that in that first inning, if you're the opposing pitcher and you've got, let's say Tommy Edmond at the top and Tommy Edmonds had a very good camp. And then all of a sudden you got to go Arenado Goldschmidt makes it tough to get through that first. And I like that. I, I think there's something to that. I got to see the protection behind him. Tyler O'Neill, two more hits yesterday I got to see protection. What I'm concerned about is seeing the not getting a lot of attention has been the camp of Paul DeYoung. We were talking in the office before this, uh, DeYoung couple more strikeouts yesterday. He is two for 23, I believe with nine or 10 strikeouts. So hasn't looked great again. It's spring training. You, you take what you will from the numbers, but even just watching some of his at bats doesn't look locked in. And that's something that I've got to see from because he plays a vital role in this lineup. When you talk about Arenado and Goldschmidt, you've got to have protection behind, especially the latter of those two. One is going to protect the other, but who's going to protect the second of those two? Got to be somebody, whether it's Tyler O'Neill or Paul DeYoung, but I'm looking at one of those two guys or Dylan Carlson, but somebody's got to step up and that makes it very important. Yeah, Paul DeYoung's really important going into this
0: season because he's the guy that I trust the most in that spot. He's proven the most to be that kind of a hitter for you. His spring has, as you said, gone wildly under the radar because one thing that I like to look at in spring, because some of these numbers are just, they're silly, right? You look over in Arizona, the power numbers are unbelievable. You look in Florida and sometimes uh, something that should have been a double ends up being caught. Something that ends up being a home run should have been a warning track fly out. So the batted ball stuff can be a little fluky sometimes. Strikeouts and walks are not typically. And he has 10 strikeouts and one walk so far this spring. And That's showing you timing. That's showing you that he's just, he's not where he needs to be yet in terms of his pitch recognition. That's something that needs to get Ramped up here a little bit. You have two weeks now before opening day, and I don't want to be at a hundred percent midseason form by opening day, but I'd like you to be closer than this version of Paul DeYoung because he is so important.
1: Another thing that we saw yesterday, and you're going to see managers now start to manage games a little bit more like a regular season. For instance, uh, no DH used by the Cardinals yesterday, so John Gant had to hit against Max Scherzer. Good luck. There was zero chance. I thought I, there was probably zero chance that he was going to get a hit yesterday. I hadn't swung a bat in a while, and then you got to face Max Scherzer, who, by the way, was hitting 96 on the gun, so that was a good sight for uh, the Nationals. But the other part was seeing who closed the game out, and that was Alex Reyes. And I mentioned before, I think you could see combination of various guys closing the game out, whether it's Jordan Hicks, and I don't think it's going to be just a slam dunk on opening day. Now, he may close out opening day, but the next day, if you have a chance to win, it could be Alex Reyes. Might be Andrew Miller if you got some tough lefties coming up. You got Joey Votto. You got Mike Moustakis. Those kind of things. Um Genesis Cabrera. I-, I could see. Gallegos him. for sure should be absolutely in that mix. Giovanni will definitely get some chances. So the point being, though, Alex Reyes back into games. I think you could see it, and I love that weapon in the back end of games.
0: I love it. Just don't get too married to it, Mike Schilt. I, I, I don't, don't think he will. I don't either. I, I think he, I, I trust Mike Schilt with his managerial decisions. The only thing is it, it is so tempting. It is so tempting because he is so good. And Dan, he looks amazing in spring. Like if we could just bubble wrap him and keep him in this form for the regular season, oh boy, he will be one of the best relievers in baseball this year. If this is what you get out of
1: him. This is his compact of a delivery. I've seen, he is shortened up. If you watch and what I mean by shortened up, he's not as long with his back, I'm trying to make sure I give a visualization if I can to a listener. But he's
0: almost coming to his ear as opposed to the
1: back of his head. Yeah, not his taking arm. his arm. Is is almost like making a full circle behind your your back. He's not doing that, and he's just it's just whop right to the plate. I mean, it's compact, and he's uh, just about with every pitch too. Now he had a couple curveballs that he spiked, but even on those yesterday, this tells me he was getting great movement he almost got guys to swing at it guys were like oh nope okay at the last second i mean that tells you that there's late bite to this uh he's been sensational he looks great five innings two hits no walks that's what i love to see with him and seven strikeouts no runs allowed so alex reyes has looked the part and will be used in every high leverage situation you can possibly think of coming up i'm fascinated he in terms of usage, he's
0: probably the number one storyline for me throughout the regular season for the Cardinals because there's there's almost no precedent in the last 20 years for what they want to
1: get out of Alex Reyes this I, year. I think we got to stop with the 100 innings thing. I, I know that's what everybody's point. You got, well, they said 100 innings. How are you going to get to It's an arbitrary number. I mean, they might get to it. They might not. I, I want them to get to it, though, is what just, I'm saying. Just because I, I want them to use him in high-leverage situations, And I want them to win games and he's your best option to win games. And I don't care if it's in the sixth when you've got the heart of the lineup coming up and he gives you multiple innings and you're up by a run or two to bridge the gap to guys that are rested and ready to go, or it's in the eighth or the ninth win the game. And he's your best guy to get you the win. That's what I want to see. You're absolutely correct. And I think that's the way they're going to use him this year.
0: The one fear that I have, and Dan, this is me looking forward more so than it is for this year is I want him in the rotation next season. I get it. And the the best way to get there is by this season, making sure that he's at at least 80 or 90 innings. If you don't get there this season, it's going to be really hard to ramp up to one fifty next year, which is where you fingers crossed hope that he will be. And so I, I want them to be able to get multiple inning innings out of him consistently. And that's, that's my one question for this season is how are you going about that? I think they can do it. I'm just very interested to see what it looks like once they're able to actually put this plan in place. I'm
1: going to cross that bridge next off season, or if there's multiple injuries this year and he's thrust into that role, which I don't think they're going to do never say never, but I'll worry about it. Then he gives me the best chance to win a lot of games in high leverage situations. He's not always going to win. He's not always going to come through. You have bad nights in the game of baseball. It happens, but Right now, he's my best opportunity to win. That's how I'm going to use him, and I'll worry about the innings later. And I want to make sure he's healthy. That's the other thing too. Let's just get through a full, healthy season with Alex Reyes. Honestly, that's how I look at it. So we'll see. Looking forward to this, Jason Marquis. What do you want to ask Jason Marquis? I want to ask him about the last three innings of a game. Is it different for for pitchers? That, yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. I think he's fascinating because he's a great athlete. Um, And now pitchers are going to be asked to hit again and ramp that up. He's won a silver slugger, by the way. Uh, And he's also pitched for uh, team Israel in international competition, world baseball classic. Like you thought he was retired and he came back and pitched. So is he still trying to do that? I'm, interested in that and see what he thinks about it so coming up we're going to visit with uh, jason marquis who was a member of the 2006 world champion st louis cardinals this is the danny mack show with bk the podcast powered by i promise heard jason marquis was coming up on the show i got excited jason marquis a world champion of the st louis cardinals in 2006 played with different uh, nine different teams in the major leagues dan mclaughlin and brandon kiley danny max show here in st louis 101 espn hey jason great to hear your voice how are things going
2: well uh, things are pretty good how about you guys uh, bringing me on.
1: you bet uh, where do we find you are you in uh, the east coast still or where are you these days
2: I am. I'm stuck in the cold up in Staten Island, New York.
1: I couldn't tell. You know, you still got that New York accent, man. I'm telling (laughs) you, you know, tough to get rid of, tough to get rid of. Absolutely. Are are you still doing stuff with baseball right now? Last time I ran into you, I was doing the Cardinal game out in, I think it was Dodger Stadium and you were starting to do some broadcasting. Are, Are you keeping your hand in that or doing something with baseball?
2: Well, uh, more on a youth level right now, uh, My son is at that age. He's about 14 years old and getting heavily involved. Uh, I was doing some stuff with the network, just here and there, just keep my face in the game. But since this pandemic, it's been a a lot different landscape. So I'm going to wait till things come down to, you know, eventually dive back in.
0: Talking to Jason Marquis here on 101 ESPN. Jason, as you look at baseball today and some of the pitchers that are around the game are there any guys in particular that you find yourself just, uh, it's like a magnet when they are pitching, you want to be watching them. Who, who are those guys for you?
2: Yeah, that's definitely uh, an exciting time in the game. Uh, yeah, I wish there were more starters who would go a little deeper into the game. Uh, you know, that could hold their stuff a little bit longer. But there are definitely some guys who are exciting and, you know, on that list, uh Obviously, you got to include guys like Jacob DeGrom. Every time he steps on the mound, it's, it's pretty fun to watch, and it seems like he's getting better year after year, which is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, uh, you guys have a young guy, Jack Flaherty. Uh, got to see him pitch in person. That game, he mentioned who assures sure he was still doing Walker Buell. So there's some really good young talent out there that when the game's turned on, I'll uh, get dialed in and, try to walk through the game mentally with them and try to game call throughout. But they're they're definitely young and excited.
1: What would it mean to you if they uh, took out, you know, pitchers not hitting? Because you could flat out hit. You, you, would, you probably wouldn't like that, would you?
2: Well, yeah, you know my take on that. I mean, I think just try to be the best athlete, be an all-around baseball player. Uh, I wish they would bring the pitcher Obviously, we know that's not going to happen, but I think it's still a great part of the game. I think it's a good uh, balance between one league having it and one league not. And, uh, I enjoyed it. I know I worked on it. Uh, not only, uh, obviously, my, my main craft, which was pitching, but you can impact the game on that front, too. Uh, I know that definitely was an exciting part to uh, get in the box against some really good uh, talent on the mound.
0: You won the Silver Slugger back in 2005 here in St. Louis. Where's that rank among your career achievements for you?
2: Oh, it's definitely up there. You know, anything I've, I i was anything you put work into that you work hard for and, you know, taking BP, working with the hitting coaches, uh, bunting, whatever it is that could help my team win a game and stuff that I take serious and really work on it and I did in the offseason, I did during the season, and you get rewarded for it, I think that that should go up. To, with any achievement in your life, to be honest with you.
1: Well, I, I've seen um, old footage of you as a Little Leaguer. You pitched a no-hitter right around in the Little League World Series. I think your team finished third. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. That yeah, was a long time ago, 1991, yeah.
1: 1991, and then you win a World Series, obviously, and that's a crowning achievement for any player. And you mentioned that you're working now with Little League players today. What do you think about how amateur baseball is being taught now and some of the good things and the bad things that you're seeing?
2: I think there's a lot of great things. I think uh, you know when you talk about the body mechanics to try to maximize these young guys' talent. Uh, I think it shows just the, the evolution and the growth of these players compared to you know every generation. You know the '60s were different than the '80s. The '80s were different than the '2000s, and obviously these guys are a little bit stronger, faster. I just think there's more knowledge on how to accomplish that. But I also think sometimes there's a detriment also because they take the I guess what I say the in-game knowledge, learning how to really play the game instead of just focusing and honing skills, they sometimes lose sight of you. You still have to play the game a certain way. And I think sometimes it it hinders and holds back young players.
0: What do you think are the biggest mistakes that we're making right now when it comes to pitching development? Maybe not even just at the little league level, but also as we kind of get these guys into the the minor leagues and we, we build them up into the major league starters.
2: Well, I think it does start at the youth level because I've, I've coached and I try to run my team more as a a minor league system into a major league team and try to develop players. I think you'll see a lot of these youth, youth I guess, leagues and tournaments, you're playing four, five, six games on a weekend and teams don't have enough pitching and they're trying to get to the championship game. So what happens is um, you have a kid who goes two innings, You have a big lead. You take him out, say, I'll save him for Sunday. He just pitched Friday. And you really never let these young kids develop and go five, six, seven innings at a younger age. And even, and it's not the sole fact for winning. It's also, maybe they give up two, three runs early. Maybe they don't. And you learn how they they could battle back and battle against adversity and, and come out of it and save arms on their team. And I think as you get older, there is something to be said for mental development and physical development. It's it's telling a sprinter, go sprint your whole life, and now you're going to go run a marathon. Jason, and I think that that's a very tough call and task to do. Jason Marquis is our guest. <clears throat> I want to
1: ask you about international competition and, and – you had the chance to compete with that in terms of, of pitching for Team Israel. What, what was that like for you? Did you enjoy it? And are you still trying to stay in shape to to do this with another World Baseball Classic or Olympics or something of that nature coming up?
2: I am. I definitely am. I'm in good shape. Uh, I thought about the Olympics last year. Demick obviously putting everything on hold. And I just thought, I don't know if it would be as great as an experience now, Uh, But I'll tell you what, the World Baseball Classic in 2017 was well beyond my expectations in terms of travel, setup, uh, organization, security, venues. I mean, we we had a blast. Not only, obviously, we know the competition is is upper echelon. That speaks for itself. But it it definitely was one of the highlights of my career, uh, way beyond my expectations. And hopefully, uh, I'm ready to go and. I guess if they have it next year, 2022, um, I'm going to try to make that uh, a reality. How old are you, and how are you staying in shape to do this? Well, I am. I'll be 43 this year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, so not old, but not too old. But obviously, like I said, having a, a son in youth baseball, I'm able to throw and keep my arm in shape. Uh, throwing BP and throwing with other coaches while the other kids are getting ready, and I still, I still work out as if I'm 25 years old, I'm playing in men's basketball leagues, like football leagues. So my body's definitely in shape to, to compete.
0: How many pitches could you throw right now? Like if I put you in as a starter, you're starting in the world baseball classic 2022, 2023. How how long do you think you could go?
2: I mean, I think if you give me three months to get prepared, and obviously we have plenty of time for that, I could still, uh, I could give you a good four or five innings and, you know, as long as uh, I have the ample amount of rest to go again, I, I really believe I could uh, give you 70, 80 pitches. And, and where's your velo at right now? I don't know. I haven't had a gun on me. I, <laughs> I, it feels good coming out of my hand, but <laughs> but who knows? I yeah. mean, who knows?
1: Do you still talk to some of the guys on the 06 team? And if so, uh, how often do you guys get together or have the chance to visit?
2: Well, it's a nice thing the Cardinals do. We've had you know, the 10 and 15 year anniversaries for our teams, you know, the Oh four and the Oh six team. So we get to see if you guys I actually spoke to uh, Wayne yesterday, our, uh, daily, uh, NCAA March madness, uh, pool talk. So if he wins, you know, he, he may not divulge information, but, uh, I give him some insight on the, uh, teams. Who do you have this year? Who, who's
0: your team that you're picking for the tournament?
2: Well, obviously, it's tough to go against Gonzaga. I like uh, I like Florida State as a sleeper. I know they're a four seed, but I think Florida State could make a little run at, towards the end, and uh, I think Illinois has got a pretty good team, too.
1: i got to ask you about Wayno and, and Yachty. Are you shocked to see these guys still doing what they're doing?
2: No, not really. I mean, obviously, the only way I'm shocked is the game has turned young, and sometimes it's out of your hands, and the decision you – you want to make, may not line up with what the teams want to do, but in terms of that competitiveness, their work ethic, uh, I don't see why they couldn't keep doing what they're doing.
0: You know, you look back at that 06 team. The other guy that I have to ask you about is Tony Larusa getting back into things as a manager this year for the white Sox. How do you think that's going to go? As you look from the outside, looking in, it's been 10 years since Tony was on those uh, in, in the dugout. What do you think this is going to be like for the white Sox this year?
2: Well, obviously they got a good leader. Baseball is baseball at the end of the day. It's really managing personalities. Can he manage the modern day player and their personalities different than, you know, what he had in the 80s with the with the Oakland A's and then 90s into the 2000s with the Cardinals and just the, the change and evolution of of the player and how it's just a different generation and how they think and how they do things. So it's more about managing the players and their personalities and managing the game. I don't think you lose the knack for managing the game, just being around the younger generation at the end of the day.
0: Jason, the last question that I had for you, you went from the Atlanta Braves here to St. Louis in the early two thousands. And as I kind of look at those two organizations, it it seems like they, the the Cardinals kind of run things similar to the way that the Braves did under that management group. How was that adjustment for you? Was it pretty similar in terms of the way that these two organizations went about things, especially on the pitching side?
2: No, it wasn't, it wasn't too different. Uh, what I liked about both is sort of the players sort of, I would say control the clubhouse, but you had a lot of veteran presence. So you just follow the, their lead. Uh, I think management and you know, with Bobby and Tony, they sort of gave those guys a little bit leniency and made sure they kept an eye on the clubhouse and control the clubhouse instead of them, which made it a lot easier. Uh, you know, some young players sometimes have the with authority, which, which could happen, but, I think you have good leadership, guys like Wayno and Yachty at this stage of their career. When I came to St. Louis, you had Carp, you had Scott Rowland, and obviously in Atlanta, you had Maddox, Lab, and Chipper, Smoltz, all these guys. And as a young guy, you just want to come in, see what these great guys do, and how they succeed, and how they handle themselves. And you just try to pattern your, yourself after them, and you try to incorporate things from everybody into making you a successful major league.
1: Hey, Jason, great to catch up with you. Appreciate your time and uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and good luck with the Little League team and also good luck with the uh, Olympics coming up and hopefully we see you
2: pitching. Yeah, me too. Same to you guys. I appreciate having me on. You got it. That's uh,
1: former Cardinal Jason Marquis. Again, nine different teams in the big leagues for Jason Marquis. That was fun to catch up with him.
0: That was great. I enjoyed that. Uh, One thing that I always find interesting is that that comparison between the two organizations, the 90s into the early 2000s Braves, and then what you have right now with the Cardinals. Because if you're looking at sustained success, It's kind of the only comparison for what we're seeing right now in St. Louis. And
1: think about the rotation that he walked into as a young player, Smoltz, Mm -hmm. Glavin, Maddox. And then here in St. Louis, he ended up with some pretty darn good pitchers as well. Absolutely. And good. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise. by the way you guys uh fill out your official brackets we got into it yesterday but you uh fill out the official brackets of 101 espn okay not yet no let's go tanner i got i I, I know you're number one i yeah i mean illinois is gonna win it okay got it fine Actually, right? I don't
0: have, I don't think I have Illinois winning it. I what? do.
1: I do have Illinois
0: winning I it. How hope do you comes not true? have Illinois yeah. winning it? And I well, do. Well, look, you know me. I, I, as much as I hope they win it, I'm not going to have a bias view of my bracket. Okay. When they were an eighth seed a couple years ago, I, I had them losing the first round of Miami, Florida or something like that. Or no, losing the first round, then they got to the this second round. This team's a little different this time around, Tanner. Well, yeah, I get that. But. <laughs> That's like me saying, yeah, you know I'm got mizzou losing in the second round this gonzaga. year yeah of course you do gonzaga's in there do you have mizzou winning
1: the first round against oklahoma you I have think them losing t- or winning
0: no i have them winning yeah, I, have I think winning it's a toss-up too. game either way um i i wouldn't be surprised if they lose or win but that the second round matchup i mean it's just good luck you know i'm just basically not that sold on
1: gonzaga lose. i'm not saying that mizzou or oklahoma is going to beat them
0: I think you're underestimating the schedule that they played this year.
1: I did. I looked at it. I know.
0: I They beat Kansas, Auburn, Iowa, Virginia, BYU this year. Yeah, that's year.
1: pretty good. That pretty that's darn pretty darn good. good. I saw it, PK. I know. You can run through all the numbers. You give me all they the numbers Iowa all the time. They beat by 11. They beat Virginia by I 23. Saw
0: <laughs> I saw oh, it. Oh, good for you.
1: Thank you, Tanner. You're welcome. I got you. Thank you, buddy. I need to get on the app. I filled it out, and now I'm trying to get back on it to print it, and I can't figure out what I did wrong. Come on, Dan. I know. Come on, man. Come, Come on. on. I know. Because I, I. My goodness. By the way, my <laughs> goodness. I had. Uh, I'm like Marquis. I had Florida State upsetting some people along the way too. They were kind of a dark horse for me. Yeah. Uh, I like Wisconsin to do some damage here. I liked Florida State. Wisconsin's tough because
0: they meet up with your, your boys in Baylor I know. in the second round, potentially. And so that's, that's the thing is you run into these teams that you're like, man, I love that team. And then you look at their second
1: round matchup, you're like, I don't love them that much. <laughs> well, you can fill out a lot of different brackets. No, you get one. You get one bracket. Well, it depends on where you uh, No, no. I was looking at different uh-huh. options of where I'm going with my uh-huh. brackets, different yeah, you, places to you, fill them out. You get one choice, though. You
0: you can fill out as many brackets as you want, but you get one that you can claim. Otherwise, no, no. no, I'm talking
1: about different places, not just on 101 ESPN. I was going with different places that I. Otherwise, you've got these people
0: that are at your office where they're like, "Hey, I picked every correct upset in the first round." It's like, (laughs) yeah, because you picked 57 different brackets.
1: I like it when you get into the. uh, They're like, "Okay, Sweet 16. Who's got them?" Everybody says, "Nah, nobody." All right, we start the slate clean. The, the, The new 16. Let's go. That happens a lot. Yeah, that happens a lot. I, I do could have, see it this year that I got so, Baylor winning the whole thing.
0: I've got Illinois facing Baylor in the final four, and I've got Illinois winning that one. You got any good upsets? I've got so one team that I'm into is San Diego State. I've got them making the elite eight facing off against Illinois. Okay. So maybe that one would be interesting for you. I've got LSU. I think LSU is super talented. I've got them making the Elite Eight as well in an all-SEC matchup against Alabama, coming out of the East. I've got okay. them beating Michigan, so that that might be an interesting. How one about for
1: those you. odds that had Alabama is like the seventh or was it sixth, seventh or mm-hmm. eighth best chance to win the entire thing? I, I've I got found them in the title game. Do you really? Yeah, I think Alabama's really good. Nate Oates can coach his ass off, man. That oh, guy he's is really good. Look what he's done against Conzo. Yeah. Head, to head against Konzo. Konzo, it's just like, even prior to Mizzou, couldn't beat him. Crazy. Uh, I do have Mizzou winning in the first round over Oklahoma. Oklahoma's really struggled. They've dropped five of the last six. They're These not playing well. These teams are mirror images of one another. Yeah. They both
0: started out really, really well, and they have both cooled off at a to a great degree over the last, basically, month of the
1: season or so. One of the things I wanted to get into, BK, and with you guys, I found this article on ESPN.com just fascinating, and then, uh, Tanner sent it to us late last night, but the rising percentages of batters faced by relief pitchers each season in the last ten years. Take a guess what it was in 2020? 45 percent, almost half the time relief pitchers are are getting the outs. That's incredible. That's that's an astonishing number to me. And when you talk about where the and I listen to Buster Olney with. Um, randy and michelle yesterday and he feels that that's where a major problem is in terms of the popularity of the sport way too many relievers being brought into these games so when you have a matchup like a marquee matchup like scherzer against flaherty and the guys only go let's say five innings which can happen with these games that's not good for the sport you want to see the old days of gibson and koufax and, and I realize it's going way back when, but that made it great where both guys were going nine innings and finishing the game off and it's a tight game and there's drama to it. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying you can get back to that, but he brings up a valid point, man. You, you you know, way too many relievers being thrust into these games and you're just rolling over the fifth, then the sixth, then the You know, and there's a new guy every single time. There's something to that. And I, I hadn't really thought of it in terms of just so many relievers being brought into these games no-name guys that if you're the casual fan you have no idea who these people are that's a good point people don't like that you want your main stars in these games the problem is how do you fix it
0: because i agree that it is a problem i agree that it is something that if you didn't have this taking place the game would be better as a result i do not know how you incentivize teams to stop doing this because if And it's not an analytics problem. It's a teams are winning games this way problem that baseball is facing right now. So how do you as the sport, as the overseer, if I put Dan McLaughlin as the czar of baseball today, I don't think there's a rule. There is a template for how you change this. And that's that's the tough part is I think this is just where baseball is going. And I don't think there's a way to stop it. Yeah, I wish there was. I I wish I don't want to be doom and gloom here like I. I wish there was a way that you could stop this from happening, but I think it's going to be those really unique players where it's, it's such a superstar starting pitcher. Those are the guys that are still going to be able to shine through and they're going to have immense value now as much as, as ever. But those middling guys, the fourth and fifth starters, I don't think there's any way to backtrack on this.
1: By the way, I misspoke earlier when I was talking about Konzo in Alabama, I was saying Conzo against um, who's the coach he struggled with against Mississippi state or uh, Ole Miss. I mean, Who's uh, a coach Kermit, at, yeah, that's who he struggled against. I I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of things in the game that I would I would start instituting a bunch of this stuff that they're looking at in the minor leagues. I mean, I'm talking about pitch clocks. I'm just talking about getting activity in the game, man. And I'm thinking, yep. you know, like when they're talking about um, with the shifts, and they're they're saying, okay, well, these guys are going to put their their cleats have to be on the infield. I put make sure that they're on their their sides of the bag too shortstop cannot be on the second base side second baseman can't be on the shortstop side let's do that too let's see how that works so again they can stay on the they're saying that they have to be on the infield but my understanding is they can still shift to the other side just do it full full boat man i don't i think you get rid of it
0: though because now you wouldn't be able to have that second baseman uh, basically in the center of center field and right field So I I think that by doing this, I don't think you have to worry about the shift anymore. Mm. I think it will eliminate that, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: No, I I understand what you're saying. I I do, because you're taking away some of the depth of the shift. Right. What do you think about a pitch clock? I'm fine with it. I like it. I've seen it in the Arizona Fall League. It seems to work. Guys seem to be like, okay, whatever. I'm in the box. I'm on the mound. Let's go. Just move it along. We're just... I saw on the ringer, the younger yesterday, generation just isn't catching on, man. And we got to get them
0: in. I saw the ringer yesterday. They had an article about how they should push the, uh, the mound back a little bit as well. So there's a, there's a million different that, remember things that brought that, you that up do. to you
1: the other day. I said, that's, I know that sounds crazy, but all these guys are throwing a hundred. Do we have to do that? Do we have to move the mound back? I you don't might.
0: know. You you might have to get to a point where you fundamentally change something about baseball. Yeah. And that's that's in play. We've done it before. You know, you look back to what was it, 68, like we made changes based on the dominant pitching, and it helped the game evolve. And you you go through these different cycles of baseball and we're in one right now that we would like to remove from the game so that you've got to be willing to take away some certain things
1: a couple of things before we say goodbye for this hour and then you're going to be coming up with alex nolan gorman is playing second base today mm-hmm. is that correct that and is. another thing that i would be curious in the final couple of weeks will we see john nagowski get some time in the outfield you know we have an outfield competition that uh, is well documented by the group that we're talking with and obvious, for obvious reasons. We're trying to make sure we get every opportunity to make that happen. To Nagowski's credit, he's done a great job this camp, taking really good at bats. He's played well defensively. He's put himself in a mix to, to be considered for our club. How that looks, um, you know, we'll still remain to find out. Um, but, man, we got a really healthy competition in our outfield as it is and can't rule out the fact that he can go out there. He has worked at it, but I can't say that he will. Uh, but I can't say that he won't six for 17 my man is this spring we're pulling for him we like him he's a great story had to go back down to independent ball then go through the the chain of the minor leagues and he does what you want to see puts the ball in play rarely strikes out gets his walks and would be a tough at bat coming off the bench if he's going to make this team you're not going to play over goldschmidt obviously he's going to have to find ways to make it it's going to be a unique skill set so what would that be? Tough at bat off the bench, maybe some time in the outfield. That's how he's going to have to make the team.
0: I'm really interested to see, Dan, how this team utilizes those last spots, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, bench players number three and four, basically, right? You're going to have a catcher, whoever that backup is. I think it's going to be Kisner. You're going to have a fourth outfielder, likely Lane Thomas would be my guess. So there's your first two spots on the bench. Now, who else? Who are the other two to three guys that you're going to carry there? Edmundo Sosa, Justin Williams, Jose Rondon, John Nagowski, Matt Carpenter. Those are your options. Matt Carpenter's going to have one of them. Out of those four other guys... Who are you going with for the back end of your bench? That's going to be the question that has to be answered.
1: Here. I'm leaning towards Sosa because he's out of options and he can play up the middle, which Tommy Edmond could play shortstop. He made a really good play yesterday on a ball up the middle to end the game. He showed that he could play shortstop at the big league level yesterday during the shortened season um, or last year during the shortened season. I, I, I got to lean towards Sosa. Nagowski goes down and then if you have call-ups, if you have injuries, he's one of those guys that gets a crack at it. He's he's shown it. He, just, he can play at this level. I think your club is
0: better with John Nagowski on it, you know, and, and I know that there are some difficult There's decisions on the business that side of
1: this. And that's the, I, I, the options and the things of that nature. I, I, I get where you're going. He so the, you're right. And
0: there is bigger picture things to keep in mind here. Like Edmundo Sosa deserves a chance. And if if he is as good defensively as we have been told over the years, he's somebody that can help your club. And you need to get Paul Young some days off. We've seen him wear out over time in the past few years. Edmundo Sosa is the guy that gives him that opportunity. What are we going to hear about Justin Williams? Does he have that extra option year? Still
1: trying to figure that out, I that guess. That could
0: play into things. Jose so Rondon, how does he play into, if you have Edmundo Sosa, do you also need Rondon? Where does John Nagowski fit in with Matt Carpenter also being on this team? It's tough. I think he has to be able to play in the outfield for him to make the opening day roster. And it doesn't seem like they're willing to give him that chance, which is very frustrating for me.
1: What's coming up with you and Alex. So I'm
0: excited about this one, Dan. We've got Gene Keady, College Basketball Hall of Famer. He's coming up at 1130. Conzo Martin played for Keady at Purdue. Conzo Martin got his first coaching job at the collegiate ranks from Gene Keaty. So I'm excited to talk with him. Apparently from uh, the birdies that I have talked to at Mizzou, Conzo still talks to him regularly, even to this day. So I'm looking forward to that coming up at 1130. You've been listening to A
1: Danny Mac show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise.
2: Peloton. Let's go this holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors.